Hello and welcome to episode 73 of the Sheffield Digital Podcast. I'm Ian Broom and I am joined, as I always am, by directors Mel Kanarek and Chris Diamond. Today we are chatting to three excellent guests. We have Natalie Ward from City Fibre, who will be talking to about broadband connectivity and getting more people, more young people, into tech careers. And then we have Giorgio Casella, head of marketing at Evoluted and founder of Afterwork.gg, and Adam Jessup, who is the founder and CEO of Endpoint Gaming. We'll be talking to both of them about the world of esports. But before we crack on, let's get to know our guests a little bit more. Uh, thanks for joining us, everyone. Um, if we could just sort of go around uh, each of you and ask you to give us a very short potted history of who you are, what you do, that kind of thing, um, that would be fantastic. Natalie, how about you kick, kick us off? <laughs> Um, I'll put my teeth back in. How about you kick us off? No problem. Uh, I'm Natalie Ward. I'm a city manager for City Fibre. Um, And what that means is I've got responsibility for Sheffield and South Yorkshire, our investments in full fibre networks, making sure that we are deploying those networks as fast as we possibly can in line with the government's targets of getting full fibre to 80% of the UK by 2025, but importantly, making sure that people understand what the technology is capable of doing, making sure businesses, residents, um, you know, the public administration side of our towns and cities are able to capitalise on the infrastructure and use technology to make a difference and to make a change. Fantastic. And Georgie, how about you go next? Yeah, hi. It's uh, it's great to be here. So uh, I'm Giorgio Casella. I am uh, in my my day role, um, marketing director at Evoluted, which is a full service digital agency here in Sheffield. Uh, so we do everything from web design to um, digital design, digital marketing, the full shebang. Um, and in my uh, my other role, my uh, you know Clark Kent to Superman, if you will, um, I run uh, Afterwork.gg, which is uh, building a community and tournaments for kind of corporate esports. Fantastic. And Adam. Hi, yeah, so I'm Adam Jessup. I'm the founder and CEO of Endpoint Esports Limited. Uh, we are a professional esports team that compete in events around the world and represent a number of different personalities within the gaming world. Um, and we are based in Sheffield, looking to kind of set roots and make a home for us here in the near future. Great. Thank you all. Um, Natalie, we're going to interrogate you first in the politest way anyone possibly could. Uh, so you've been working in the area broadband connectivity um, for a while. Can you tell us how you got into it? So you personally, how you got into the area, and um, and and why you're still doing it? Although that sounds that does sound slightly threatening, doesn't it? That question. It's meant well. <laughs> <laughs> I could take that either way, to be honest. Why am I still doing it? Indeed, uh, it's it's really interesting my journey into the world of connectivity and broadband um a very very long time ago and i i can always liken this to how how old my daughter is she's going to be 11 soon so my journey started just before i had my daughter the government uh, recognized that there was a, a a growing gap in uh, digital connectivity um because the industry was obviously cherry picking the more commercially viable areas so we'd got a lot of places without any connectivity, some with poor connectivity, and of course, digital inclusion. It's still, it's still, a, it's still a huge issue, but it was a huge issue back then. Um, and the government started 
I think it was first called the Rural Programme. It then changed to the Superfast Programmes and it's now called Project Gigabit. Um, and my journey started in Derbyshire. So I set up um, the Superfast Programme in Derbyshire. Um, so two contracts through with BT Openreach to, dare I say it, level up and bring Superfast to you know, the, the most rural parts of Derbyshire. Anyone knowing Derbyshire knows it's extremely, extremely rural. Um, I was then asked to move into South Yorkshire um, and to do, effectively, to do the same in South Yorkshire. And that was a great journey. Lots to do in South Yorkshire. Such a massive area. Complete contrast, actually, to the lovely, sleepy, rural Derbyshire. Um, and I actually really enjoyed working in South Yorkshire. Love the people, love the contrast of the areas. But what I really love is that it's, it's particularly Sheffield. There's such a thriving digital sector. There's such a, a desire to want to do more, you know, to capitalise on things. So the Superfast programme I was working on then started to broaden its horizons. You know, we, we, we were working with Openreach. We then wanted to work with other operators. We then saw the barriers to business and, you know, actually not having the skills within the workforce was a problem. Not having the time to transform the business was also a problem. So we introduced various different grants um, and, and loans to support businesses to be able to understand the technology and to do something with it that would improve business, to get people trained up, you know, to develop skills. Um, and then I think it's fair to say I began to realise, I mean, we're talking probably we're into year eight at this point, I began to realise that super fast just wasn't going to cut it anymore, the super fast speeds that, you know, we were working on. And actually, time's moved on. If you look back 10 years, how much time has moved on within connectivity and technology. Um, and, and I started to really want to champion then, you know, we need to be pushing in South Yorkshire for the next level of connectivity. We don't need to settle for that, you know, the technology that's now almost outdated. We need to fight for more. And I, I did end up stepping out of South Yorkshire for 18 months. Um, I went out of South Yorkshire for 18 months and then I got the opportunity um, that I saw at City Fibre and something just pulled me back. I just wanted to be back in South Yorkshire doing the journey, doing the full fibre. Let's get it done once and for all. Um, I've been like a boomerang to South Yorkshire. I just love the area. I love the place. And, you know, hopefully this time I will get the job done once and for all. Uh, that's the plan. I'm hoping to paint the whole area green and, you know, there's full fibre everywhere and then everyone can truly capitalise on the opportunities. But more importantly for me, yeah, we're putting the connectivity out there. I really like working Um with the businesses, with the communities and, you know, with the sectors that operate in South Yorkshire, because there's some, some fantastic, fantastic innovative organisations out there. And it'd be good to start to showcase them and, you know, raise them up, show for me as a city manager in City Fibre, we've got about 40 other city managers in other parts of the UK. I've got an opportunity to showcase what's happening in Sheffield in you know, in Milton Keynes and in Glasgow and in Edinburgh. And that's, you know, that's some of the journey I want to go on. I want to lift Sheffield up and show, you know, show the rest of the UK what is happening. And I think everyone on 
this podcast will appreciate that we don't shout out enough about the good stuff that is happening and we need to do more of it. Um, and I'm very keen to do that. And I'm also very, very keen and always have been in working through schools, through education, through college to actually show this is an attractive sector to work in because like it or not, this is not going to go away. There's, there's far much more of this to come. And, you know, every turn you take in your life, there's technology playing a huge role in it. So I really want to try and champion through young people the opportunities that there are, you know, whether it's in my industry or, you know, whether it's in other industries related. Um, I think it's a it's an important job to do. That's amazing, Natalie. You've covered a lot of ground there. And I was just thinking when you mentioned Derbyshire, I think that's when you and I first met when you were working on the yeah so oh my goodness it goes takes us both back doesn't it um I wanted to circle back a bit to uh the point you made about how businesses don't have the time to look at how technology can help them and don't have the skills within the business to figure out what else they can do and there's lots and lots of talk at the moment about how you know digitally transforming businesses is going to improve productivity and you know save us from covid and all, all that kind of thing what sort of practical things do you think need to happen you know on the ground to help the businesses that are lagging behind to catch up and make the most of the connectivity that's available now i think you know each business is so very different but you can look at a number of businesses some are, you know some are i suppose more traditional type industries that potentially have never really relied on technology and so just don't assume that that's for them. And that for me is, is, is really sad because technology, you know, even if it's just some social media, it can play such a huge role in, you know, showcasing that business and building, the, you know, the recommendations and building that um, social media following. Um, and I think there's a, there's a need to, in my experience, showcasing case studies of businesses that have done this and can show the difference and the benefits and the outcomes it's made is far more powerful to another business owner than seminars and conferences and, and workshops and the like. And, you know, if we can try and find those businesses that have made those changes. And I do think often the skills aren't there. So being able to then find or even create um, training programs that meet the business needs instead of a training program that we're shoehorning in that might be around social media or you know web design or any of that um, CRMs but trying to create it bespoke to that business so that that learning then gets implemented because I think you know when we in the super fast days when we, we did an awful lot of grants to try and boost business productivity and innovation not everything got then translated back into the business and used so you need to make sure that things are a little bit more bespoke for that business and that's that is really challenging because every business is so different but it's also really important because I think for those businesses that aren't able to you know whether it's adopting new technology for promotion or marketing you know or whether it's about completely transforming business processes it's really sad but the businesses that aren't able to adapt and change for me I find it quite concerning as you know in 10 years time 
what will the landscape look like? Will those businesses still be around? Um, and I think we need to change the mindset. And I say this a lot, and, and it's interesting, digital is still an add-on. And it's not, it's, it's, it's in everything we all do at home. We don't, you know, so why don't we think the same at work? It's through everything we do. It's no longer like adding it on. Oh, did we think about digital? No, it's, it should be part and parcel of, of, of everyday life at work because it certainly is for everybody at home. Mm-hmm. Um, and, it, you know, I find the, the disconnect there so interesting. Um, we, we all just get on with it at home. But in the workplace, many people seem to be very afraid. Um, and I think, uh, you know, another way of trying to support businesses is to work with education and to bring the young people through. Because I look at my kids, the skills they have got across social media channels are, are, are absolutely amazing. But, you know, they're, they're, they're skills that they just have, that they've learned themselves, bringing young people through into local businesses in Sheffield could be really powerful. And they see things through a completely different lens to us and are far more creative. They really, really are, you know, and, and I think that could be really valuable to a lot of businesses in, in keeping the young people in Sheffield, creating those jobs. There's a, there are these multiple chicken and egg situations though, aren't there? Because yes, it would be great to get more young people into some of those more traditional companies that would benefit from transformation, but those young people don't want to work in those companies because those companies don't provide them with the work environment that they want to work in, and the tools and the connectivity and the the uh, yeah the, the the culture, the surrounding culture around how to use the tools, and then and then equally for companies that are, that maybe use digital technology in a certain way or use ADSL, you know, copper fiber, uh, copper connectivity. They have no need for fiber. They have no need for gigabit at the moment. But in, and until they do, they won't see the benefit and the, the reason to spend the money. But equally, if they did have it, they would do things differently. And they, they would, you know, other opportunities I would open up that they're not aware of. So, so how do you negotiate those, those chicken and eggs? Those, you know, one thing has to move before the other moves, but which one? I think that's, you know, that's a really valid point, Chris. It is, it is chicken and egg. Um, and I think it's one that we've been grappling with for for many years, for many, many years. Um, and I think many businesses will sadly have to be um, at a critical point of, of decisions before mm. they before they change, because sadly, we still have, I think, a mindset of this is how we've always done it. Yeah, um, I think that's, you know, where the, the point that you made about um having you know real life examples like being able to showcase businesses and what they've done and the journey they've been to and having you know actual people talking about well you know I wasn't sure about this and I was a bit worried about that and you know then these things happened and we dealt with it this way I think those real examples can help break that chicken and egg cycle a little bit Mm -hmm. just before we move on to talk to Giorgio and Adam um Natalie can you tell us a little bit more about the work that you do with young people? Because you talked about wanting to encourage young people into careers in technology. Are you actively involved in stuff around that? Yeah, um, it, it's interesting because, you know, young people are the future. They are absolutely the future. Um, and having two young people of my own, I'm really passionate about them 
understanding the opportunities in the world. There is a huge world out there. Um, and, you know, my belief is they don't necessarily at school get exposed to the, you know, the vast opportunities there are for career. And um, so I'm, I'm really passionate in Sheffield and South Yorkshire in exposing young people to not only our industry, but the industries that, you know, make business on the back of connectivity, like, you know, like the esports and, and things like that. So do a lot of involvement with schools. We like to do uh, innovation type challenges. We've just done two recently um, and they were app designs, asking young people to design apps um, and the creativity of these particular apps are unbelievable. One of them is out of this world. I'm not gonna say too much because we're hoping to get it designed up and actually get it out there and being used um, for a key event in South Yorkshire next year. Uh, the other app was around healthy eating. So we took, a, we took an issue in that particular area and across schools and healthy eating is a, is a big issue. And we thought, how can we try and tackle this issue but using technology so that the kids are more engaged. And again, they come up with a great app. Um, so I like to find an, you know, a, a life issue and then go into schools, talk about that, and then talk about ways in which technology can help address that. Because um, I think that's where you know, a lot of the, the great inventions and great thoughts come from is, you know, what is, what is a life problem and how can technology address that? One of the other things that I do an awful lot with is trying to encourage people to come into the industry. We are investing heavily in the UK, but that needs that needs resource and that needs a workforce. And it's a completely new technology. It's a new way of doing things. So the workforce isn't there. And so we know we need to do it. We need to attract young people through college, through university, and into the industry and traditionally it is viewed by young people and they do make me laugh that it's digging holes in roads and it's really not there is an element of that but that is a really really small part and so we're trying to really in South Yorkshire break down those barriers and get young people to understand that there's many careers whether it's with City Fibre or our build partners or our ISPs but there are so many job roles and this is not, you know, this is not going to go away. This is something that's going to continue to grow. So we want to show it as an area that they can develop and grow in, you know, and, and potentially have a really long lasting career. That's fantastic. So we'll make sure in the show notes that there's, if schools and colleges are interested in talking to you, there's a way to get in touch with you. Um, I wonder as well if, you know, gaming and esports is a way perhaps to, attract young people to think about technology in different ways did you like my artful segue there to, right. <laughs> to move on um and georgia maybe we can start with you and you can tell us a little bit more about how you got into esports and you know what what's going on with you in this area sure yeah um i kind of fell into it by accident i suppose um i've been a, a gamer since a very young age and kind of over the years been a very casual consumer of of esports, you know, watching things now and then, the things I was interested in, consuming via Twitch, via YouTube. Um, and it's only recently that I've really kind of taken this deep dive into the industry and, and really kind of got my head around the, the ins and outs and how how big and how wide it is, as opposed to the the blinkered view I suppose I had before of it just being, oh, some guys playing some games on a stage. 
so I started uh, afterwork.gg previously called agency esports back in February this year 2021 um, in an effort to during lockdown uh, our third lockdown here in the UK um, to bring companies together um, this idea of hey normally we'd be out we'd be doing office five-a-side teams we'd be kicking a ball around playing against some other companies um, how can we transform that and take it into a kind of a digital modern approach instead so built out this concept of running inter-company tournaments, um, picking a couple of different esports titles that people kind of played um, either casually in their spare time or for some of the hardcore gamers really put hours and hours into this stuff after work. Um, and since starting that, I've just had to kind of take this um, holistic view of everything that goes on in the industry. And um, I'm sure Adam's going to say a lot more about this in a minute, but um, getting this understanding, like I said before, of esports being um, just some you know, teams playing competitively on the highest levels on a world stage. And actually realizing that like football, for example, um, you don't classify the Premier League as just the only thing that is sport. Um, if you're playing a five-a-side with your friends, if you're kicking it around in a school playground, you're still playing sports. And the same is true for esports. It's not just those world stage players that classifies esports anymore. There's so much more to it, any kind of fun, competitive, gaming between between individuals or teams should be classified as esports and i wanted to you know bring that to the forefront with 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 after work yeah that's really interesting i think that's, that's something that's becoming increasingly clear is that you know esport is like a parallel sport that at all levels um at amateur level at you know just for entertainment and uh and and social reasons um as well as the elite level with that every you know lots of people watch and and attracts huge audiences and big events um, so it's really interesting that, that you would use that as a platform to bring companies together and to get more kind of community going on between companies. Originally, it was agencies. I, mean, I was going to ask you about the name change, actually. Presumably, you want to widen the, uh, the kinds of companies that you bring into that. So maybe talk about that a little bit and, uh, and, and how it works. Like, what, what is the after-work experience? Sure. So, yeah, on the rebrand, um, we originally launched as Agency Esports, being in the creative agency world myself. I had a lot of contacts, a lot of people I played with regularly anyway. Um, so it made sense to launch there, get them involved, proof of concept, if you will. And we had a fantastic first season with 15 agencies from across the UK taking part um, in across Call of Duty Warzone and across FIFA 21. Um, so kind of in a nutshell, the way it works, we, uh, we run um, three seasons a year, uh, kind of spring, summer and fall, winter. Um, sorry, it's very American of me, I know. Autumn, winter. Um, and teams sign up, you know, you, you, you have your company, you've got your workmates and you go, hey, you know, we play a bit of Call of Duty casually anyway. We maybe do some, some Rocket League or whatever title you're currently playing at the moment. Um, let's get together, let's, let's form a team and let's compete. And we basically take all of those different companies with a few people that want to get together and do this um, and pit them up in proper competitive esports. You know, we've got proper elimination brackets, we have group stages, everything you'd expect to see from a professional level tournament, we put them through. Um, and they play games one evening per week over a four week season, um, ultimately kind of knocking each other down until uh, we get to the semifinals, the grand finals, uh, and have a, a big blowout and a big celebration as we crown the winner. Um, there is a big charity element to this as well. It's not just a matter of bringing companies together and bringing colleagues together. 25% um, of our revenues from entry um, fees from the teams go to charities. So the winning teams of each tournament get to split um, that prize pool amongst the charities of their choice. So in that first season, we, we phenomenally managed to raise about two and a half thousand pounds, which got split between the likes of National Autistic Society, Alzheimer's Society, 
um, the RSPCA and, and numerous others um, across that um, Call of Duty and the, the FIFA um, split. Brilliant. Um, and so is it, so presumably it's all online. You don't do physical events. That's um, correct. Yeah. The, the, the huge benefit, sorry, Chris, carry on. So no, I was, was going to say, is it all PC or, is, or do you, do you um, use other platforms as well? Yeah. So it's all completely cross-play. We purposefully choose games that allow people to you know, play on whatever platform they're on. It's platform agnostic um, to make sure we were inclusive as possible. Um, FIFA was a little bit difficult uh, after starting it i'm not a fifa player myself so only after starting did i realize that we couldn't have that cross-platform play mm. um which made for an interesting eh? first season there indeed um but for call of duty we had people playing on pc people that were playing on, on xbox and playstation all over the place um and the the online nature of games um meant that we could run it during covid without any problems it lended itself perfectly to this this way of bringing people together at a time when everybody was was sick to death of, of online quizzes uh, and zoom calls with the family it was a completely different way to get people that maybe would have never spoken to each other before online playing networking um importantly you know there's there's definitely that um the business and professional element to it as well fantastic, yeah, fantastic. so um Adam, I'm really interested. You have a startup, a business. Um, tell us how that came about and, and what it's actually all about. Yeah, so I, I, I run Endpoint Esports. I mean, what we are is an esports team. So we can, like Giorgio said, esports e is kind of a, a broad term and it covers a lot of sins. You know, we, we act professionally and we have teams competing at the top of their level. Um, and we also have influencers or streamers that kind of play it more casually and and, um, and to an audience on other you know platforms like Twitch or YouTube and things like that. Um, I, I kind of tend to describe ourselves as we're kind of a cross between like a football team like Manchester United or whatever, but also uh, an Olympic team because we cover different disciplines. And um, within esports, you obviously have different games. So whereas in an Olympics team, you wouldn't have a swimmer competing in the 100 meter sprint is much in the same way at a professional level you wouldn't have a player that plays call of duty compete in rocket league or whatever it may be um, and so we have different teams that compete in different sports effectively but um, our job as an organization as a whole is to market that is to bring on sponsors to help them get products in front of that audience that you know are not the typical audience for esports is is that I guess 15 to 30 age group um, where they're not consuming traditional TV, they're not listening to the radio, um, but what they are doing is they're watching YouTube, they're watching Twitch, they're playing games, um, typically hard to reach for a lot of brands. Um, and so we help them get in front of that audience through, you know, your typical sponsorships, like a traditional sports team, like I say, um, and we also do activations and events. Um, you know, we've, we started in, 2016 um, and we've grown quite rapidly since then um, with the coronavirus pandemic actually accelerated the growth to be honest of esports mm. because we were the only you know, we were the only sport that was active the bookies loved us because it meant that they could put something on their website and try and entice people to bet on tv uh, broadcast loved us because it meant that they had new footage that they could put out there and we saw esports go on sky channels and even terrestrial tv um, and so yeah over the last kind of two years we've had a quite a rapid growth um, and you know I'm, I'm happy to report that the company's doing really well um, and we are 
uh, opening a facility in the near future in Sheffield City Centre, um, which we're still in the, the planning phase of, but uh, it will happen. Um, and so, yeah, we're, we're really enjoying it so far. That's amazing. And it's fascinating for me because I don't really get gaming. I don't do gaming myself and but I recognize it's it's a huge industry it's a huge thing that so many people are involved in you know it creates amazing jobs we've got some amazing companies in the region so it's fascinating to hear about your business what's what will happen at your premises I'm, I'm trying to imagine what that would look like and what will go on there yeah so effectively it, it, it's a headquarters for us uh, for one thing um, we have um the opportunity to use some facilities through a partnership that we have with um, CEX, a high street chain, and, and they've given us access to certain spaces up and down the country. But really, it's a headquarters for us because I know through the coronavirus pandemic, a lot of businesses have moved online and realized that actually they don't need people in the office. They can manage it fine over Slack, over Zoom, or whatever it may be. But for us, it's actually been quite the opposite because one of our jobs is to market our players and to market products and to create rich media. And we need that access. We need to be able to have access to our players and our influencers and things like that. And so actually having everyone under one roof suits us a lot better. Um, and so it's gonna fulfill a number of things. We're gonna have a studio there where we can create kind of rich content with the players and our influencers for YouTube, for Twitch, whatever it may be. Um, it will be a training facility. So again, for someone that's new to esports, they might think, really, training? Like, is that a thing? Um, it absolutely is. You know, these guys are full-time players. They live and breathe what they do. Um, they're on salaries akin to lower league football players. You know, they are, they take their sport very seriously. They have coach, they have, you know, they have coaches, lifestyle coaches, um, you know, and so having a base where they can all do that together um, and, and treat it as a prof the professional sport that it is, um, is, is increasingly important to us. Amazing. <laughs> so I'm just like, I'm, I'm taking all this in because um, I, I suppose I always knew there were professional esports players but it, it's just starting to get my head around this as, as a whole parallel universe that's that's going on and, and is sport in its own right, but is um, sport happening through digital means rather than physical means. Um, I'm Mel, just I'm really starting to show my age now, aren't I? Mel, you've got rooftop sniper written all over you. <laughs> <laughs> just picking people off from a distance, no problem whatsoever. <laughs> okay, I'm I'm really not quite sure how to take that, but I think Natalie would <laughs> a like compliment. to ask a question in order to save me. <laughs> Anytime. And now I was just really intrigued, Adam. Um, obviously, you're getting headquarters. I'm assuming you're going to be taking on staff. What kind of roles will you be employing? Obviously, thinking about, you know, my passion for young people, it would just be interesting to understand the kind of roles that would work in esports. Yeah, so... We are a media company um, and marketing and, you know, and so within that we have a number of creative roles. So video editors, graphic designers, um, even technical development. I come from a development background myself. So I'm very, whenever we come across um, a marketing idea or something like that, it's what can we do online because of our audience and the age of our audience, how can we create an app for this or how can we make a website for this or whatever it may be. And so, you know, we'll need developers for that. Um, we also need 
admin staff, you know, player management is is actually quite difficult, especially in this day and age. Mm. Um, our guys are in uh, Stockholm playing a tournament at the moment and arranging for six people to get to Stockholm with all their various COVID tests that they need to take and all of their, you know, visas and things like that. It's It's been quite challenging. And so, you know, having more, you know, hands to help steer the ship, to be honest, um, just in, in that sense. And obviously it's an exciting place to work because a lot of people, a lot of the younger generation who are in university or whatever, who are gamers themselves, would love the opportunity to work with an esports brand and, and get involved in the industry. Um, I know, for example, our, our marketing, um, social marketing manager who we took on, um, she's from Sheffield and we hired her just because she had marketing social media experience, but was the gamer but didn't know esports and so actually we wanted to bring someone in that actually didn't know the market because then they could bring in the expertise that they have from that traditional market but being a gamer and being really keen to get involved and learn about esports um and you know she knows more than some of our other members of staff now because she's so you know she's really kind of tuned herself into the world um and it's great to see that development and it's great to see that that we can give people careers in such an exciting market to be honest I think um, I think it's also worth explaining that, um, that that physical events are such an important part of of esports, especially elite esports. Um, people might have the impression that people play online a lot, but um, at the at the elite level, you have to have a controlled environment. You know, everybody has to have the same type of equipment, the same latency on the network, um, in order to compete on an even basis. So there's a lot of travel involved and there's a, there are big events. And so organizing events and event management and all the, the technical in, uh, installations that need to happen in a venue to be able to support uh, an esports event um, uh, is like a big music gig. You know, it's, there's a lot of work there, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm sure Giorgio's had his fair share of trying to manage online events and, and, the, and the pain that that can bring with it. Um, but yeah, physical events are commonplace at the elite level of esports because of, like you said, it's, it's a level playing field for everybody and there needs to be that professional integrity. Um, and so, like I mentioned, our team are in Stockholm at the moment competing in a Counter-Strike tournament over there. Um, because of the COVID restrictions, they don't have an audience for this particular event. But, you know, esports and audience go hand in hand. We've sold out Madison Square Arena. We've sold out large football stadiums around the world. Um, you know, it's amazing because certainly here in the UK, esports feels like a bit of a niche community. Um, when I was involved back in the mid 2000s, I, I didn't tell my closest friends that I, I was running a team back then. You know, we, we went to Europe to play in an event in Europe and I was like, oh, I'm going on a stag do. You know, I didn't want to say that actually I was going with me and five other people to go and play games. And yet when we went to Denmark, we'd go into a bar and there'd be people that are going, oh, you're here for the counts, right? Been down the road. It's like, wow, yeah, yeah, we are. Um, but yeah, when you get audiences to these events, it's incredible. Um, you know, it's, it's you, you kind of around people that share the, that share the same passion as you and share, you know, the the understanding of the intensity of the game and the skill that's involved in the game and everything like that. And so, um, yeah, it's, it, offline events are great. And I, and I would recommend if anyone gets the chance who are interested in just seeing what it's like, please go to one because um, it is a really vibrant uh, atmosphere and it's a great community to be a part of. I was going to ask both of you, actually, Giorgio and, and Adam, um, 
Uh, I, I want to, I guess we should also ask about your connectivity requirements and the connectivity requirements those events have. Maybe we'll get to that in a sec, but I really wanted to ask the two of you particularly about trends in esports and in, and in competitive gaming generally, because it seems that to me that there's like new games are being added. Obviously there's games coming up and there's, there's games that are about to be released that, that, that you know, are designed specifically for esports. Um, but there's also people are rediscovering older games and turning them into competitive sports. What, what's your view on that? Yeah, I've, so basically the world of esports is constantly changing because of that, because you've got new games coming out. But actually what we find the most successful esports titles have, have been around a long time. Mm. Um, Counter-Strike has been around for years, since 2000, I think or so. Half-Life, um, yeah, yeah, exactly. And we have a professional Quake player playing with us, right? This is someone right. who was. Yeah, I saw uh, that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. And I remember, I, re I remember going to uh, an event in Paris in 2005, and he was 16 at the time, competing at this event, um, and he was incredible. Then. How does he even know about that game? <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Um, but then, you know, he's still playing now. Quake Pro League is still a yeah. thing, um, and you know, it gets a great amount of viewership. Um, but there are new games that come out to try and challenge that. Um, Valorant, uh, I guess, is one of the more recent obvious examples. They've kind of tried to take what um, first-person shooters like Counter-Strike offer and mix it with the fantasy world of like League mm -hmm. of Legends and things like mm -hmm. that to try and find a, a balance in the middle. And it's certainly, you know, proving quite popular. Um, ultimately, with regards to if a game is successful as an esport or not, I think a lot of it comes down to community buy-in and their in integration with the community and what they do within the community. Um, a lot of companies will release a game and slap a, a high-figure event on and say, oh, you can win £100,000 if you play this game. Mm -hmm. um, and, it, and it might work for a few months, but actually it's more about how you get teams involved um, and how you interact with the community and how you make them feel like they're valued. If you can open that communication with them and say, well, how can we make our game better? You will have a lot more buy-in because of it. Mm. Um, yeah, so as yeah, a result of that, there are, there are lots of communities. So for, for organizers like yours, choosing the right game in order to in, include a particular community of people because different games appeal to different kinds of, pe of person. This might be quite important as well then to be inclusive i mean to kind of attract yeah. people who you know wouldn't otherwise in game you know engage in the in the very biggest games yeah for us it's obviously as an organization it's a business decision what mm. can we get out of it as an organization so for example we have a rocket league team and within rocket league we're a partner team so we actually get skins in the game so we have um cars within rocket league that are branded as endpoint right. and, and and we get a, a share of the profits and revenue from that um counter-strike does something similar if you can get to a high level um and and so working with organizations like ourselves and working with teams in terms of saying look if you pick up five guys and you pay them a salary to play this full time here's how we will here's how it will benefit you yes there's prize money but there's also a revenue stream that we that you can tap into mm. um which obviously from our point of view makes it a lot more appealing yeah what about you georgia i mean you must be thinking about expanding your the roster of games that you offer in your leagues as well how do you do yeah that? absolutely over time it's um definitely going to be something we're looking into to doing um very small at the moment so we're trying to keep it quite limited but i mean the most recent season we've brought in um, a new entrant to the esports scene, I suppose, um, which is Splitgate. 
Um, and this was a, a tiny developer that's been trying to build this game up for kind of the last few years. Um, started with a group of four people building this out, taking some of the, the concepts of things like Quake and Unreal Tournament, blending them with Halo, and then adding in something a little bit extra, which is um, anybody that's played Portal or Portal 2 knows the, the relationship between kind of this, this dimension changing, um, popping through portals to change your location and speed and momentum using physics behind it. But putting a concept like that into um, a traditional kind of FPS, first person shooter game, has really changed the dynamic and it's seen an explosion in popularity recently. So it's a big gamble for us to, to take that on and introduce it for this new season, but we're trying to ride the wave. Um, uh, and like you say, be inclusive and bring new things into the scene instead of it being being the same old. Um, but I guess building on what Adam said before, um, it's it's super important that the developer and the publisher is, is part of the community and is really interacting with the people that are playing these games. Mm -hmm. um, a great example of it being done wrong, um, and I don't know, Adam might disagree with this, being, being more in the professional side of things, but um, the Overwatch League um, in the US, um, they had a limited number of spots that teams could essentially buy into, which limited it to um, the likes of people that owned basketball and, and American football teams to buy in and build their own Overwatch teams now. And the community was, I suppose, outraged at that. You know, you're, you're really limiting the amount of people that can compete at that level, that can get involved, that can, um, you know, build themselves up to, to be playing on that professional stage um, because it's, it's a cash grab. Um, along with numerous other things um, that were going on at Activision Blizzard, the publisher and developer, um, it's, it's resulted in the league collapsing. Um, Overwatch 2 is, is, is slated for launch next year. Um, and I know from, from being a part of that community that some people are a little bit iffy about whether they're going to be following mm. that scene at all come launch. Just for the record, it was uh, $30 million to buy into that franchise. That's what, um, that's what a franchise ticket costs. Yeah. Um, that's American and, and, sports for you though, Adam. That's how American <laughs> well, sports well, yeah. are. It's awful yeah. in a lot of ways, but there you go. So um, I have two questions. Uh, the first one, which is probably obvious, but I think it needs asking is, what's the gender representation like in terms of professional involvement in esports? Yeah, there's no denying it's very uh, male orientated. Um, there has been uh, big pushes lately to get more female representation within esports because we know there are female gamers out there. Um, you know, unfortunately, there is a there is a problem with online gaming and female rep you know representation and and how they're maybe treated online and things like that. Um, but I I'm happy to say that I think a lot of work is going into the community to try and improve that. Um, we recently had a female Rainbow Six team that competed um, in both mixed gender but also um, female only competitions um, and that seems to wait to be the way that the sport is going so much like football how you have uh, a, a women's league and a male league uh, esports is going in a similar path so we had a female rainbow six team i know that um riot the publishers behind valorant have launched a female valorant um tournament um, and so i think there are a lot of efforts going to try and level that representation um, but absolutely there is a long way to go um and we want to make it a safer place for everyone involved um and and try and have more representation there from a fan base point of view the numbers kind of level out a bit more um you know we are seeing that a lot of female um are engaged within the world of gaming and engaged within esports um you know it's just but at a competitive um professional competing point of view um yeah it, it, a lot fewer so 
if a young person was interested in pursuing their love of esports into actually playing it professionally, what sort of things should they be doing? Uh, getting involved with the community, um, basically, is is. I know when I first got into gaming, um, I remember I was I, I was playing on the tournament at the time um, back in like two thousand or whatever, and. I was speaking to a friend of mine at work and he was like, oh, do you play on your tournament? I was like, yeah, I do. I, I, it's a great game. I really enjoy it. He was like, okay, you in a, are you in a team? I'm like, sorry, am I, am I in a what? He was like, yeah, are you in a team? I was like, no, I, I, it's just a game that I play online occasionally. He's like, okay, well, actually, we're, we're playing in this tournament tonight. Why don't you uh, log on, message me, and I'll give you a link. And, and so that night, uh, it happened to be the finals of some European competition that he was playing in. He gave me the link. Um, where I was talking with other people on IRC at the time, we were watching a, um, a stream of it and we were listening to someone like on an internet radio station talk about it as it went along. And I remember there were even times where we had to sync it. So you had to pause the radio station to get into sync. And I was just sat there thinking, wow, this is amazing. You know, that this is incredible. And I absolutely want to be a part of this. And from that, you get talking to more and more like-minded people. Uh, you know, you start playing and you start finding your way. And even though we've moved on, you know, 20 years or so, it's very, the experience is still very much the same. I think when people see esports for the first time, they think, wow, this is incredible. I love playing games. I love competition. This this world combines them both. And, and then you start talking to more like-minded people. You maybe form a team with your school friends or people that you've met online. And, and, and that's the way to do it. It's a case of finding the right community to be a part of and improving your uh, individual skill, teaming up with friends, teaming up with whoever, and working your way through systems. Um, there are platforms available online. So, for example, in Counter-Strike, we have uh, a hub on a website called Faceit, whereby people of all skills can go on there and play in a league that tries to match their skill, and then they can get promoted as an individual or and get promoted and to the point where they might get noticed by a team and someone might say, hey, actually, I think it's worth taking the shot on this kid um we have an academy system uh, at the moment whereby we try and identify these kids that are just coming along for a community and maybe you're looking quite good we might say hey come and join the academy you know we want to we want to try you out in a more professional atmosphere we'll invite you down to training sessions and see if you what you have what it takes to become an esports player um so yeah and it, i guess it's very it's very similar to traditional sports in that sense much like you would go down the park and have a kick around with friends and you'd play sunny league and hope that a scout sees you it's exactly the same just one observation really listening to that i mean it, it's fantastic it sounds like it you know obviously you said there's less females but it sounds like it can be far more inclusive um than regular sport than physical sport so I, just an observation really from me um, and then I just wonder how how you promote the opportunities, um, you know, for getting involved in teams and things with young people, um, or is it through the games that they're already on and through the channels that they're already using? Because I see it as I, I see it as an opportunity. You know, there's and speaking with a fifteen year old in the house, there's a lot of time spent in solitary confinement gaming, and actually for him to be part of something else sounds really interesting you know to be communicating with others how do you know how do people find out so we, we there certainly needs to be more awareness there for sure within esports um and to touch on your point about in, 
inclusivity. Yeah, absolutely. There's no reasons why esports can't be fully inclusive. There are no, you know, other than, I guess, having been able to sit at a keyboard and have a mouse or a joypad or whatever, there are no kind of physical demands. Um, and so, but e even then there are, there are charities like um, uh, Game Effect, I think it is, um, who are trying to work with people who are disabled to help them compete and play games. Um, but yeah, in terms of awareness, uh, a lot of it is through the games. So most games these days, when you log into them, they'll have like an online portal and they will try and promote the esports that are taking place at that time. So if you log into the game and you see, oh, actually, there are, there are two teams competing at this. I, I know this game. I want to watch that. And at that point, it's, it's about how can I get involved in that? I need to find teammates and I need to do that. And like I said, there are a number of platforms out there that are trying to cater to that but absolutely our plan in the future is to go out and do more awareness uh, with schools um, with universities um, and, and try and teach them about esports and how they can get involved um, the British Esports Association does a lot at the moment with schools they have a number of different um, uh, processes to get schools teams involved and they have tournaments that run national tournaments that run where you can have a school team in different games and, and things like that and they even have a finals down in london um and, and they do some great work educating kids on esports and and how to get involved just kind of adding on the on to the end of adam's point there the british esports association are absolutely fabulous organization um not must mention a few of the others that are out there people like um for for once people reach that student age and they kind of gone off to university the national university esports league um nuel have been doing amazing work over the past few years really kind of doing a similar thing of, of running tournaments um they've got university societies at unis across the country that now send teams and compete in all sorts of different games those are co-ed teams they're inclusive they're really promoting diversity at that university level and it's that education bit which is the key part of us progressing as an industry i think um, so there's those guys. There's also Hitmarker Jobs is, is one to mention. Um, they are the um, jobs board for the gaming industry now, I suppose, and they've built an amazing community around the work they're doing to promote opportunities, whether those are paid or volunteer worldwide. Um, I think people um, like your child naturally being involved and um, taking part in these online communities, whether that's through forums, whether that's through programs like Discord and the servers that are on there, or whether, like Adam said, it's through these online portals that the games are, are pushing themselves that transport people through to YouTube Live, to Twitch, the chats that are taking uh, taking place there. It's it's a really organic way to get involved and to find these opportunities, but there is there's always more that can be done to um, to make it more public, I suppose. It's, it's about the connectivity, Natalie, isn't it? Because if you're from a low-income family and someone's already watching Netflix, how are you going to watch Twitch and be on Discord chatting to your mates? Yeah, I mean, one of the one of the questions I was going to ask, obviously, you mentioned there's a team in Stockholm, you know, there's a competition in Stockholm, that place has got great connectivity, it's up there with the best connectivity in the world. You know, d does being in the UK hamper our success at these esports competitions? I imagine it, it does, doesn't it? because or reduce it to, to the reduce it to the families and households that can afford it yeah yeah it's uh, that is something that is a problem isn't it yeah i mean we have a, a rich history in esports um but we've certainly not been as successful as other nations um, around Europe. Um, so your Scandinavian countries, Denmark, Sweden, places where it was cheaper to get a hundred meg connection than a fifty-six k connection at the you know in the early two thousands. Um, places like that have 
seen incredible growth in the world of esports and you know a wealth of success um more so and, and and also because of government recognition you know in the late 2000s you could get grants from the local councils and government to start an esports team in your area and so what we had was a lot of esports teams starting up that represent their locality you know um the Roskilde Ravens and, and, and areas like that. Um, whereas over here, um, esports still isn't classed as a sport here in the UK, um, which is blows my mind. But um, it's, and, and so I think there's a, a, a number of factors, but certainly connectivity is, is a big one of those. Um, we have been lucky to hold big esports events. Um, the, the Birmingham Arena held a Dota International uh, a few years back. Um, we've had a major Counter-Strike event in uh, London. And I mean, even in Sheffield, there's a rich history of esports events. Um, the uh, CPL World Tour in 2005 was held in Sheffield where the best players around the world came to Sheffield to compete. Um, and then in 2014 and 15, Ponds Forge hosted the COD World League Tour. Um, you know, and so we actually have a good history of esports events. Um, even right here in Sheffield, um, but uh, you know, connectivity is is, is paramount to it, um, and and that's it is important that there is a, a a wider availability of good connectivity to try and help get people involved in esports. Absolutely. Thank you. Harking back to that, harking back to that previous conversation. Sorry, Ian, um, about careers and different opportunities. You know, the, the careers aren't just about players anymore. Um, whilst a player might want a great connection to be able to optimize, there's also, like Adam said, the hiring content creators, people that are there, not as um, the people on the stage playing the game, but producing the ancillary content, the, the media that comes with, with growing that company, with building your presence as a sports team. Um, it's just as important for them to have great connectivity, to be able to, to, to stream, to get things onto YouTube, to um, you know, be, be active on social media and on Discord. You know, if you can't talk to people, if you can't get that, that stable connection, um, even that side of things is going to tail off as well here in the UK. Indeed. Well, thank, thank you all for that conversation. That was really, really interesting. All, all I need really is a league for uh, people who wander around Hyrule picking flowers, which I'm an expert at. Animal um, Crossing. Hyrule is Zelda Mel. I said it's Zelda Mel. <laughs> oh, Zelda. <laughs> uh, thank you all for joining us. We quickly go around and tell people where to contact you. So if we start with you, Natalie, how to get in touch or where to go and find out more. Uh, Cityfiber.com to find out more. Georgia? Uh, you can find us uh, at afterwork.gg, also on Twitter, LinkedIn, um, easy to find. Great stuff. And Adam? Uh, yeah, you can find us at endpoint.gg uh, and we are Team Endpoint on Twitter and all the other social platforms. Marvellous. Um, yeah, thank you all for, for joining us. That was great and uh, good luck with it all. Yeah, it's so good that we've got companies like yours in our ecosystem, actually. It's, it's really good to see. Okay, time to go through some of the exciting things that are happening in the Sheffield Digital community, as we always do. Um, we're going to start off with, it's mostly good news, which is nice. Lots of good news. Um, <laughs> but we'll start off with, um, we didn't really report bad news, I suppose. No. <laughs> <laughs> well, for once, there's no, <laughs> no bad news, this one. Yeah, that would be the opposite of our... We'll, we'll leave that to other media outlets <laughs> to do with the bad news, and we'll stick with the good, I think. Good plan. Um, so we, we'll begin with a, a, like a kind of a roundup of the uh, various fingers that we have pies in. That's not the right way around, is it? 
well yeah conversations that we're part of i guess or networks that we're part of i mean with our with our represent hat on these are kind of the the city fora both industry and non-industry related that we get involved in just to let people know um and maybe just to kind of remind people um of these conversations that are going on and um we, we try and link to information about them and minutes and stuff when when we can but if anyone's interested in these conversations do get in touch with us and uh we'll point you in the right places to find out more um but yeah do you want to go through things that we've attended in the last month or so now yeah absolutely so um i was at the economy.chef meeting last week which was a really good roundup um, of everything that's going on the thing that's interesting about that group is it's led by sam chapman from the flow yeah. and he speaks quite a lot to decision makers at national in national government in in government departments at quite mm. senior level so he's really keen and really good at raising sheffield's profile in those sorts of discussions um so yeah i was at at that one um, we're saying that that's a very very specific digital economy meeting as well so it's it's people from the public and private sector in sheffield who are who are trying to support and build up the the digital economy here and that we we were kind of part of helping set that up in the first place but it was really well attended it's been if anything better attended since it's all been online actually um so yeah there's a lot going on there mm -hmm. um the other thing that started up again after a bit of a break at the end of the summer is the city council's business response group mm -hmm. um which again you know was originally brought together to be all about you know dealing with the pandemic and is still dealing with the pandemic in terms of looking at uh, recovery um but the interesting thing about that group is it's starting to shift its focus towards startups and what's going on in the the startup ecosystem in Sheffield and the role that that plays in the economy. And, and so, of course, a lot of the discussion is around digital there as well. Mm. Yeah, um, actually related to that in a way, um, the council also hosted their second digital inclusion task force meeting a few weeks ago now, um, basically where agencies um, you know, are coming together to, um, to try and improve digital inclusion, access to um, connectivity but also equipment and training um, and one of the issues that I raised as part of that meeting was digital harms so I'm in the process of putting together a, a group kind of a citywide group of people who are working in digital harms or in a range of digital harms um, but also at different stages of education so people that are working in primary and junior schools people that are working at secondary schools um, further in higher education but also um, in digital inclusion, so getting you know new adults um, onto the internet, um, and in in kind of ad adult education as well. So anyone who's interested in digital harms, please get in touch, and especially if anybody who's working in digital harms with with any group of people, please get in touch. And uh, you've been on a few other things as well, Chris. I'm just looking at the list here. Why don't oh, you yeah. dive in? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So uh, a little while ago, um, I was invited to. Um, the Digital Meat Manufacturing Commission, which has been set up to try and bring industry partners together to um, essentially to, to digitize supply chains 
existing supply chains in the kind of in the manufacturing industry here in Sheffield um, and connect some of the things that are coming out of the AMRC. Um, so I haven't actually, yeah, I haven't seen any outputs from that yet. It was a few months ago that we had that, that meeting, but um, there's, there's basically a nascent plan to um, try and create a cloud-based um, kind of digital model, I say, essential digital twin of a particular supply chain um, in the Sheffield ecosystem. Um, I think around hydrogen. So there's a bunch of companies that work to supply other companies with parts and being able to have all of those on a, on a, a not a single digital platform, but, but um, share their data through a, a common standard that um, can be exposed to APIs so that um, those companies can better coordinate what they're producing as a kind of an example of, of how digital technology can revolutionize supply chains, not just individual companies and factory operations, but actually actually how um, companies in, in supply chains interact with each other. Um, so that's what that, that's about. I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing where those discussions go and what kind of plan that turns into. Um, other things that I've been involved in. So I, I'm about to join a thing called the Skills Accelerator Board, which is um, a new fund that's been set up to accelerate skills of, of uh, you know, lots of different kinds of skill. Uh, skill provision across um, Sheffield and the whole of South Yorkshire, I think. Um, but uh, obviously, I, I want to I want to um, push digital skills development um, through that as well. So I'm looking forward to finding out what uh, what resources are available through that fund and and uh, how we can feed into the strategy around that. Um, and then, yeah, it's the. Uh, so Sheffield Hallam University's computing department have got their uh, industry advisory board coming up, um, which happens every six months or so. Um, and really a lot of the time is about just how the department is performing and um, but is very much about work placements and um, uh, degree apprenticeships. So if anyone out there is interested in working more closely with the computing department at Hallam, um, please get in touch with me. I don't think I'm able to actually go because I've, I've started my teaching schedule again at Hallam in a, in a different department to computing. Um, but uh, I'm sure we'll find someone to represent Sheffield Digital and our community in that meeting. Um, I think that's it. I think that's everything, is it, that's going on at the moment in terms of citywide fora? There are other conversations going on, of course. But. Yes, there lots of other conversations going on, um, but I think those were, were the key ones. Um, but also lots of other good stuff going mm -hmm. on. Um, our friends at Tutorful completed another successful fundraise and have raised another three million pounds from Northern Venture Capital Trust and the Northern Powerhouse Investment Fund, uh, which is fantastic. They just go from strength to strength and that's mm. really good to see. And then tons of companies winning awards i don't know what's going on at the moment i don't know if it's just award seasons or if suddenly everyone suddenly got really good at winning these things um so uh, a lot of our digital ma marketing firms are doing really well evoluted rise at seven seo works um all doing great stuff and winning awards at the moment um the curve won the Innovation Award at the Sheffield Star Small Business Awards this week and Mattress Online also won an award so that's you know, digital retail doing really well too. 
-hmm. And Chris, you've got some updates from the Prolific North Tech Awards. Yeah, yeah. So I was asked to judge uh, and at the Prolific North Tech Awards, and you know, I'm I've been invited to the the in person uh, awards event that's taking place in Manchester in a couple of weeks' time as well, which. I'm actually really looking forward to because I haven't been to an awards do for ages, you know, years now. So is it is it a penguin suit? Event I think it or? is. Yeah. I think oh, it's brilliant! The, it's the full DJ. Yeah. <laughs> so um, so yeah, but I, I there's a there's a bunch of Sheffield companies that have been nominated in categories uh, at Prolific North. Um, Razor, Tripad, Tutorful, uh, Mina is up for Startup of the Year. Uh, and Nimble, I think, is up in two categories, one of which is fastest growing. So, um, yeah, it'd be really great to see some Sheffield award winners at the event. So hopefully if you're in those companies that I've just mentioned, I'll see you there. Mm. Cool. Marvellous. Uh, Sorry, Mel. Forgive me for interrupting. <laughs> Shall I go ahead? Uh, well, I was, I was just going to say that Tickets for Good, who I believe are a, a company member, yeah. Um, they, uh, they. I think they did this earlier in the year or at some point during the pandemic, where they, um, they were making event tickets free for NHS staff. Well, they've launched a ticket fund to fundraise for event tickets that will be donated to NHS teams. So, like a really, uh, I mean, a, a company like doing things for good anyway, but this is uh, a very specific way of doing it. So, um, that's great. You can find out more about that at ticketsforgood.org slash nhs and um meetups meetups are starting to happen again in person in real life yeah um don't yeah, have I mean... to wear a penguin suit to all of them i don't think but uh, <laughs> but not. why not <laughs> so what have we got sheffield uh, dm sheffield digital marketing so giorgio i believe is one that we didn't ask him about it did we but he's the, either the organizer or a co-organizer yeah i was sure. chatting to him about it actually before we started recording the podcast and um they had their first going back to in-person event uh just last week i think um and he said it was great they got 50 people they were in the creative lounge in the workstation so that big room on the ground floor at the workstation so of course 50 people in there is still quite well you know socially distanced and um, well ventilated and they also live streamed the event at the same time he said it went really well so it's going to be very interesting to see how people navigate doing some sort of hybrid mm. you know in person and online stuff and then of course startup Sheffield has been meeting in person um, they mm -hmm. were outdoors um, I think in August and possibly earlier in September as well um, I'm not quite sure what they're going to do now that we've started to get a bit autumnal. I'm really pleased to see that happening, but people are still using the Sheffield Digital Zoom account to run virtual mm -hmm. meetups too. And um, we're more than happy for people to carry on doing that. So don't feel like you have to go back to um, in-person events if you'd prefer to stay online. We're going to keep that running, that Zoom account running. Um, and if you want to find out about using it, just email info at sheffield.digital. Yeah, just to add to that, I, I ran the first in-person geek breakfast for 18 months last Friday as well, um, which, was a, which was a really interesting thing but, to do. So we, but you're running it and like you were there eating your breakfast, but you were also on your phone 
the yeah, same so time. it was like it was like because you know because over the last eighteen months, you know, there's a regular group of people that have been meeting online every Friday morning, um, and people kind of drop in and drop out, but there's like a core group that regulars. Um, a lot of them still want to carry on doing that. Um, and obviously not, not everybody can make it into uh, into the city centre on a Friday morning, but there are other people that wanted to come and, and have a conversation and who I, I was meeting for the first time. So we actually kind of had two meetups going on simultaneously, but both able to see each other because I had the Zoom call running on my iPad at one end of the table and the people online could see our table and, and see us, but um, obviously it was muted. Um, and we could see the gallery view of everybody who was online and talking and we could see the chat. Um, and I was also on my phone participating with the, you know, muted most of the time with, but with an earpiece in so I could listen into their conversation online and, and connect things up if I needed to, but you know, also having a conversation with the people that were there present in person and, um, and wow, sort of paying, trying to pay attention to both. But. Some serious multitasking there, I'm well impressed. <laughs> well. <laughs> I mean, yeah. I, I find it difficult to read a book and have the TV on at the same time. So <laughs> I, I'd be lying. I'd be lying if I said I was paying attention to both things at once for the entire time. It's not possible. But yeah, you know, just keep checking with what's going on online, letting people in through the waiting through, from the waiting room, and making sure that people are happy and you know that the, the, the conversation is flowing okay. You know that no one's like dominating the conversation, doing the kind of sort of conversation housekeeping that I would normally do online as well a little bit fantastic Good the only stuff. problem with it actually is we don't have the big table anymore in Tampa because we'd have to we have to book in advance and so I can't guarantee that we're going to fill the table and so we don't really have much spillover so actually there were more people that came to be there in person that we had than we had chairs for and that had to leave so I feel mm. really bad about that and I'm not really sure what to do about it I'm afraid yeah that's that's a tricky one let's let's not discuss it in the no, podcast no. <laughs> take that one offline we'll give it out at some point yeah um anything else on our good news just having a look so mark pierce has a has a fundraiser going on at the moment if, uh, oh, it's a crowdfunder isn't it yes yeah so um there's details of this in the good news channel in our slack um but essentially um so it's Explorer HQ, I think, is is the name of, of the app. It's like and, and, and the company. And the, the idea is uh, it comes from a, a very um, old project, I suppose, now that started around 10 years ago called Mission Explore, which is to encourage kids to go and explore their local area. Mm. Um, and this one is about national parks. So I think they've teamed up with uh, National Parks UK to try and get children to explore their national parks a bit more. So the it's for a, a campaign to to do that. And the crowdfunder is to kind of try and uh, support it. But uh, yeah, the information is in Slack, isn't it? It's in the Good News channel, yeah. I think. It's in, on, on Slack. Mm -hmm. So you can go yeah. and find out a more coherent description of, uh, of what it is and what to do. Yeah. Yeah. Also, where to go to support the, crowd, the, the crowdfunding that they're doing. Yeah. And it's, it's really interesting, actually, just to kind of on a, on a more general note, um, the stuff that Mark is doing with Ex Explorer HQ and the idea of, of using technology to get kids um, engaging in their physical surroundings a bit more, um, but also companies like iMoves um, who use dance instead of PE. So, you know, trying to get you know, physical activity to be expressed in other ways than just sport. Um, 
And then also I, I was talking to a, a company that is considering moving to Sheffield and setting up their European base here called DrumFit, an American and Canadian company that use drumming as a as physical exercise for kids and have been very successful in lockdown as, as, as parents were concerned to keep their, their kids active while they were locked, you know, in, under lockdown at home. Um, so it's all part of the kind of the, ed, it's the crossover between the ed tech pillar and the movement pillar, you know, the movement tech pillar. We've got this really interesting emerging, you know, sub niche of interesting companies that are doing things around um, physical activity and education. Um, and of course the UTC with its sports science and which is very much sort of activity focused out at the Olympic Legacy Park as well. So yeah, I just thought it's interesting that Mark's, Mark's been plowing that furrow for quite a long time. Um, and actually, you know, Sheffield, Sheffield has increasingly got quite a few, um, you know, things to shout about in that area and is attracting international companies to come here as a result of it, which is, which is really good. Great. And I think that's it. I'm sure there is other good news, but we've not got time for it. I know that. <laughs> so um, well, Sumo I, are, in, uh, are doing, even, you know, even better than people thought they were doing. I saw the other um, yesterday, I think they actually doubled their, their, uh, their profits um prior to their acquisition so that's what they're we're getting to uh, the point where that's just going to be a, a segment on the show the financial yeah. date from sumo <laughs> how big is again. sumo this week yeah um great well i'm going to disappear into the future again and tell people about some events and uh thank our latest members whilst you two pop off and do whatever you do when i'm doing that marvelous thanks so much great to see you yeah bye bye we we, we do nothing obviously we just Go back into our closets and close the door. <laughs> that's, what, that's what I assumed. <laughs> right then, let's tell you all about the events coming up in the Sheffield digital community in the next couple of weeks or so. On Tuesday the 5th, we have the latest edition of .NET Chef, a regular Sheffield meetup. On the 8th, just a Friday, it is Geek Brecky, of course. That's every Friday morning at nine o'clock virtually and now in person, as you just heard. Uh, Saturday on the 9th, it's Sheffield Hackspace, which is open every Saturday, two till six. On the 13th of October, we have Business Analytics Forum 2021. And then we have 15th and 16th, as we've said, back to Geek Brecky and Sheffield Hackspace. But then on the 19th, it's the latest edition of Sheffield Women in Tech. It's the October meetup. And it looks like that's going to be online. The following day, another .NET chef, uh, where they're talking about, what are they talking about? Azure Functions with Mark Doike, which I may have pronounced wrongly. And do you know what? That's it. That's all that's in the events calendar. But that doesn't mean other events aren't happening. I just take it from the sheffield.digital slash events calendar. That's where you can find it. If you do run an event or you are starting up in person, or even if you're just carrying on online and you want more people to know about what you're doing, then do go ahead and add it to the Sheffield Digital calendar. You can do that at the same URL. On to the members. A big thank you to the following new members of Sheffield Digital, whose uh, support helps keep the lights on and uh, more practically, it helps pay for various comms uh, that uh, Sheffield Digital puts out, keeping everybody informed. First of all, big thank you to Vouch, who joined on the 19th of August, and they are a company, of course, so this is the company members I'm talking about. Artumi Systems joined on the 20th of September, and Logica Digital on the 29th of September. So thank you to all three companies who are now members of Sheffield Digital. Greatly appreciated. On the individuals front, 
We have a big thank you to Cole Kennedy, who joined on the 30th of September. That's today. That's as I'm actually speaking. So thank you to Cole for becoming an individual member of Shepherd Digital. Costs five pounds a month, a couple of coffees, and you're in business. And that's it. A big thank you to our guests again and to you for listening. If you would like to subscribe to the show so you get episodes delivered straight to your whatever you've got, then please do. You can uh, go and find us uh, in all of the relevant places, but you can also find out more and listen to the shows over at the Sheffield Digital website. Uh, Sheffield.digital slash podcast will start you off and uh, all previous episodes, all the interviews that we've done over the last four years are all on there. There's lots of treasure to trove which is not how you use that phrase. That's it. We shall speak to you next time.